0: Havili was magic, the shift on for Crotty, boom, far down you go, Quark Smith, me oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Sit back, relax, put your belt on, and enjoy the show. Alright and with that, welcome to the Draft Rugby Podcast, I'm your host Kargie and mm. tonight we're going to preview Bledisloe 3, answer some listener questions and um, just have an all round general yarn, uh, Nelson you're too close to the camera mate, get back. Um, Introducing my co-hosts, uh, and Harry, are you searching for a wine sponsorship here? Um, but I'm, yeah, int-
1: I'm displaying the lack of back wine wine sponsorship because we still get oh. to hear back. The man from nowhere.
2: It's, good. it's a good drop.
0: Very good. Well, sorry, they've jumped the gun, but introducing Harry and Nelson, my co-hosts, uh, newfound lobster farmers. Must be nice. Uh, they bought all the kits and uh, now have farm a- or hunt lobsters. I don't know what you do with lobsters, but uh, must be yeah. nice, boys.
2: Yeah, you, you eat them. Um, yeah, look, we haven't gone out looking for hot lobsters and not caught one yet. We have a, you know, a pretty good success rate.
0: It sounds like how we're going to talk about the Wallaby stats throughout this um, podcast. But um yeah, sell, sell right before
1: it happens. That's the way that we
0: like to roll. Very good. Anyway, look, I've missed the pods. Um, if you haven't already, get after us a Draft Rugby. Um, check, follow us on YouTube. Please subscribe and like. Harry goes is going to an increasing amount of effort. He was even doing green screen edits this week. So, lifting his game. Um, so, get after us on there. And um, with that, let's just jump in. So, the Wallabies versus the All Blacks ANZ Stadium this Saturday. Uh, Stadium Australia. We are talking about it before we started the pod. The record doesn't look good. Um, in depends terms how, of... Uh,
2: depends how you say it. I mean, you, you've got to reference that it is against the All Blacks and against the entire time that we have been dominated by them. Put that into to reference. 17 games. <clears throat> 17 games. You get to games. in your head what you think it would be. Craigs, what's the actual win percentage for the Kiwis in uh, Australia? Well, it's, at that it's, point?
0: Un- it's only just over 50%. So the All Blacks only win just over 50%. It's That's probably big
2: almost half the time. So, um, yeah. Um, it's aside, The
1: uh, the Wallabies win percentage at Ainshead.
0: 42 42 percent huge you know what I mean like just um
2: so we're counting the draw as a win for us then yeah we, we've counted that as a win <laughs>
1: because Wait, it would be a win wouldn't it no it would be a loss no we need to count that it a
0: it's a loss in a Bledisloe, but surely a draw counts as a win it's like the Eden Park record haven't they drawn once so like the Eden Park record still in time. in the scenario
1: that we're in for Bledisloe, it's a draw would be a loss no, so, no. Because the, the Bledsoe would be gone, right? So essentially, what that means is we're a one in three chance of winning.
2: As wise as a wise man once said, it's like kissing your sister.
1: No one wins. No New Zealand wins. I'm
0: win. just glad that you guys don't yeah, have
2: a with kissing uh, the sister.
0: You know, it's uh, and I'm sure. A potential sister's glad that she doesn't have you guys as brothers. But uh, anyway, moving on, um, the game. Look, we don't have the weatherman with us, but Harry, you've looked up the weather. What, what's the uh, forecast?
1: Brought to you by Willy Weather, the uh, the best weather app there is. Look, 90% chance of rain, 10 to 20 mils, which is a little bit. You know, I always thought 1 to 10 is a bit of a sprinkle. So there will be some rain through the day. Chance of thunderstorm in the morning to mid-afternoon. This may be too much detail, but I can confirm that there's only a five percent chance of rain from 5 p.m. onwards. So basically, should rain itself out in the middle of mid morning, midday, and then by the afternoon for kickoff, there will be no rain and basically no wind. So I'm expecting the commentators, especially George Gregan, to have a field day telling us about how much dew there is out in the pitch. And how much harder that makes playing.
2: Yeah, we don't want to, we actually don't want to hear that because it means we're dropping the ball as much as we did last week. Mm. So hopefully we don't have to hear that, but it is good that it is drying up for the match. And uh, all we want to see is, you know, guys like Tate McDermott get their crack in dry weather. We do not need him on the bench in wet weather.
0: That's true. But look, it's all about the the, the positives you take out of it. Mm -hmm. So this week, uh, it means Corobiti will um, slide in the last 10 metres. Uh, rather than going for the bump off in the if the corner. If he catches it. <laughs> if he catches it. Look, catch I said it. positives, all right? Positives, they'll they'll put the spray glue on the hands this time. Um, they they've got stock. They're not over in New Zealand without all their supplies. It's all here. Stadium Australia will get if, it done.
2: We can't catch it. Vinavalo is taking his spot next year. So <laughs>
0: Yes, look, you're previewing too far into the future for that. But, um, look, how about talking of uh, considerations for the here and now, Nels, why don't you take us through the injuries, the casualty ward? So, uh, in the returns column,
2: there is Sam Whitlock returning from his concussion. Uh, Look, he's yet to undergo contact when we heard last, that was on Tuesday. But he's been named in the side. He's, he's going to be ready and raring to go. I think he
1: was doing contact <clears> on
2: Tuesday. So yeah. it was basically like, if that went well, he should be fine. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's been named. I'd be highly surprised if there's any uh, games in, in that. He's going to be someone who's going to add a lot back to their side. Rico Iwani, after being pulled pre-game last week with his tweet, tweet Hammy, he will be returning. Nani Laumape is uh, also into the side. Into the mini-bus. The- Yeah, into the wrist fracture from memory. It was something like that. I can't I can't remember exactly what it was. Um I I think for the Wallabies as well, it's worthwhile mentioning DHP, it's his first game back. Okay. I think there was another oh it's it's Patea's first start returning from from his injury as well. In terms of uh recent injuries, uh, you know, pretty pretty big on the Wallaby side of things, 10 10 12. Um, James O'Connor, he, he pulled up lane from that last match with an MCL injury in, in his knee. And Matt Tamua, he, he hurt his groin uh, redoing injury I think he had earlier this year. So he's out for the rest of the season, which isn't that long.
1: Where would you hear MCL? I, I just saw knee. I saw it on uh, the Twitterverse. Oh, huh.
0: yeah. okay. um, As a health professional, whenever you hear knee, you just say MCL, don't you? you just say ACL injury.
1: Well, it's been, it's been two weeks, right? So... Straight away, that says it's probably middle grade. And straight away, mm-hmm. that says to me he's not playing the next week or two. Yep. Mm-hmm. At least. It's a four- to six-week injury if he's not there now.
2: Yep. Joe um, so Moody, concussion, just because the bloke hits his head against things. Grub-cussion. Grub what was that? Grub-cussion, actually. Yeah, definitely no, so. if, yeah. if you grub too much, you, you start to get headaches.
0: <laughs> And everyone else gets a headache too. It was a good clinic on how not to tackle someone last week, actually, by Joe Moody. So.
1: Is he an undercover grub? Because somehow Dane Coles got called the dirtiest man in New Zealand. Dane, J- J- Joe Moody is far and away the biggest grub in New Zealand.
2: But it's hard when you've got a nation full of grubby players to <laughs> say who's the biggest grub. No, so we, we can't ostracise <laughs> no. one third of our listeners. <laughs> uh, Kiwis, if, if you want to send a complaint, send it through to rugby ruckus at hotmail. <laughs> And that's that's
0: our complaints department. I don't know how many times I've told you, you, you two are the only people on this planet that still use Hotmail, mate. Everyone is on Gmail. So it's the Rugby Ruckers at Gmail just to make sure that everyone gets oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but um, no, very good. All right. Well, Harry, why don't you lead us into, that's led us into team changes. We, we've switched up this week. Harry's normally the injury man, but um,
1: yes. So, a uh, few on both sides of the ledger. So, for the Wallabies, the first one in the front row, Alan ala, ala Toa coming in for <clears> Teniela <throat> Tupou. Personally, for me, I'm, I'm really excited by that change. In the scheme of things, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what it means uh, for one of our listeners' questions later on, but probably not a huge difference other than where so, the impact from Tupo's made. But to be honest, they, they also came out and said they've been told they get
2: 40 minutes each. No, no, no. He said, that's what we played last time, He didn't say that's what's going to happen. That's what it sounded like. He said this week, they they know they're getting four week 40 minutes, empty the tank. Mm. Um, Tanya Tupo is going to come on with a fatigued side rather than Mm. on from the start, which means he is more of an impact player for me. Um, You're you're still my
0: listener question answers for later on. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think, look, it's important. They probably, um, the Wallabies uh, coaching staff was going back through some draft rugby podcasts and they realised that Alan had been on the podcast. Um, go right. back and check out our first episode this year. And uh, they heard the great insights he had in that podcast. So um, decided to promote him back to his uh, starting position.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Brilliant. Yeah. Obviously, the big talking point this week is Noel Alessio, <laughs> Lola CEO, sorry, and R.A. Simone, Taking over from James O'Connor Simone. and whatever you want, Timua, who uh, are both injured, it's not a. <laughs> uh, okay. So the the Brumbies duo, I'm I'm pretty excited about the fact that those two are getting a run <clears throat> together. But huge amount of experience lost for the Wallabies there in the ten twelve channel, and I'm sure we'll come back to that. DHP back <clears throat> from injury, starting for Banks. Uh, so again, you get a very experienced player up at the, the back there. But banks won't be there to kick for touch, uh, and on the bench, both Fraser McBride and Tate McDermott both getting their first uh, first run off the bench as well. Fraser in for Liam Wright, he's captain at the Reds, and Tate McDermott in for Jake Gordon as well.
0: De- debuts for both of them, so not just first, yeah.
2: If they get on, debuts correct,
1: yeah. If yeah. Yeah. depends how close it is. Uh, New Zealand, <clears> you got <throat> Carl Tuilukuafere who has had an absolute barnstorming comeback from injury after, you know, really struggling to get too much game time in front of Hodgman or anything like that at the Blues this year after his injury. is starting with Joe Moody out with his concussion, Sammy Whitelock back from his, for Tupo Bai and uh, Hoskins Satutu in for adi Sevilla, who we didn't mention in the injury ward either. No, sorry, not injury word, the uh, paternity ward. Paternity ward, sorry. And Nepo Lala obviously also up on paternity leave as well.
2: Yeah, look, uh, uh, interesting one for me, Satutu and Sevilla. Uh, Satutu offers a lot in attack. He's, he's probably not as solid in terms of his defensive structures, but, I mean, he is an absolute wrecking ball. In, in terms of the chances he's had in that first match, he had 20 minutes, and he almost made as many tackles. And he had two less tackles than Pete Samu. He had two less runs than Pete Samu, and he played 20 minutes compared to 80, but he also had the same amount of tackle busts, two tackle busts. But he's been more destructive with his chances. So, I mean, he is going to be a big one for them and they're definitely going to need to contain him. And
0: that's his first game as well. You know what I mean? He hasn't even eased into it. So, he's only just getting warmed up, I have a feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the hope for us Wallabies fans is that
1: he might be a little bit daunted by the mm-hmm. fact that he's starting such a big Bledisloe game where the Bloodslo Cup is, you know, arguably on the line or or at least not in their pocket just yet. So, I
2: guess we have to hope that he does a Shannon Frizzell and doesn't show up. Well... <laughs> I think if we were playing fantasy, yeah, if we if we were playing fantasy footy, as long as he was in my side, he would be shit. So <laughs> yeah, pick him up.
0: He beat us to the punch of um asking how he went for you this year. But uh no I think okay. I, we also talked about it earlier. I am the only one um don't get me wrong, so two fantastic, but a little disappointed, uh Kira Iwani, my boy, wanna see him in there, but um not even a bench spot. But uh look I think I think fair play so Tutu's probably uh, owned the the start over room this year, um, but I think he's just terrified of the uh, his opposition. Seeing Big Harry Wilson at the other end of the scrum, you know what I mean? Like that's going to be really to handle, me? really. So Big Ned Hannigan
2: running at him, nah, hammer. No,
0: not just, no, that, well, no. look, as as we proved last week. Even Ted Flanagan doesn't even know which way he's going to go. So, yeah, you must be terrified trying to tackle the bloke because he doesn't know what's going to happen. So it's,
2: I know. think Ted's the only one that knows what he was going to do. He's the only one that had enough faith in him other than Rennie. <laughs> it's
0: a roll of the dice every time. So
2: just, just to finish off as well, a couple of bench changes for the All Blacks. <laughs>
0: Pharrell,
1: Lomax, the Aussie, the Aussie, Dalton Papali'i, Nani Lamape, Enrico Ioane all back this week as well. Wow. So some real firepower. The only one I'm, I can confidently say I'm happy with. And this could be cursing us, but Dalton Papali'i and not uh, the, the harshest done by man
2: in world rugby, Lachlan Boucher. Wow. Well <laughs> Look, uh, Papali'i is an absolutely brilliant, talented player. Mm. But my God, Boucher is amazing. So Papali'i has got a lot going for him, but he's not Lachlan Boucher. Does Boucher have an Aussie or even any other country, so I can leave New Zealand because they don't need him. This but, is at
0: least the fifth time you guys have said that. And uh, if you haven't listened to our pod before, the Bowshear fan club is um, sitting on a couch together, Harry and Nelson tonight. Uh, think Their words were better than Sam Kane. Um, not, yeah, sure if still, agree. not sure if they still agree that. But uh, yeah, player,
2: as a player on the field, <laughs> not as a leader, as a player and the, his impact. Which Um, changed changed
0: to not as a leader. Okay, all right, yet. interesting. um, Definitely not as a leader. (laughs) Sam Kane, tough as nails as well. I won't take that away from him. Oh, now he's tough as nails. All right, okay. Well, mate, he broke his neck and
1: came back and played (laughs) well.
0: Sweating. We're not saying he's not good, but fuck Boshier is brilliant well, this year. If if you try and hold the Dales to anything, um, we could be here arguing for the next I'll hour. The we'll
1: and Sam Kane. I'll stand by that. You can hold me to it.
0: All right. We'll swiftly move along. <laughs> and, uh, we're, we're talking about how how well that, um, particularly those two outside backs, that that just complements the the All Blacks line, Really, I mean, you can. We we're saying you can take either centre off Goodhue or ALB. They can both switch around. Both Lamape and Rico are centres, you could chuck them both on in the centres if you wanted. Rico obviously covers the wings as well. Like it's just terrifying to be honest. And Lamape coming on mm-hmm. in the late game, like when particularly when Simone's playing his first game for the full game, um, just and the, the, the prospect of having Le Mape come on and run at you the last twenty, like that's not great.
1: <laughs> the crazy thing is, you the you know the, the All Blacks have no idea what the Wallabies are going to start with because they haven't played against them. Well, the Wallabies have absolutely no idea what the All Blacks are going to finish with. They could play TJ Perinara to Boden Barrett to Nani Lamape to Rico Yuani with Geordie Barrett at fullback and Caleb Clark on one wing. And who's the other wing? I don't know. Jack. Oh, no one
0: else. <laughs> it's a 2 2. Right.
2: Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, The funny thing, like, when the Wallabies have been in that position where they can rotate, it's never been a good thing. But that's because none of them have been as good as the All Blacks. You know, <laughs> they don't have Bodie as the guy that can play 10 or 15. But it, it is interesting this week with... We don't have a backup 10. Our backup. We do. 10, I
0: was about to say, Hodge. He's become even more of our Mr. Fix-It now.
2: <laughs> which is a really interesting thing. Because, I mean, he's pretty much covering 10, 12, 13. Who's our other bench? So 10, 12. ten, twelve, Fullback. You know, potentially a wing spot. Definitely both a wing You know, so it's going to be interesting to see who he actually comes on for. Mm-hmm. I, guess, I guess
1: the good thing is that you've got Pataya who can push out to the wing as well. DHP could arguably push to outside centre if he really
0: had to. No, it, DHP's only know, played 15. Played 15 all wing and that's it.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's got the
0: skills to do whatever, but
2: it doesn't um, have the same no, excitement as the...
0: Have you, have you ever seen DHP play outside centre at, um, at a high level? And uh, no, but I just know we could do it. And, uh, <laughs> I
1: think he did it at the NRC ones.
0: And I, I, look, I guess it...
1: You could claim it. Though. No one would
0: be able to, to fact check that, so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> it came. There's no coverage. Um, it, if it comes down to it, I think it shows what the All Blacks tactic should be. And that is try and rattle the hell out of Noah Leliceo and try and make sure that he's not comfortable. Because we haven't got a backup plan. Just, if he doesn't play handle. well, what the hell do we do? If he has a Richie Moonga game one day out,
0: we're mm. yeah,
2: screwed.
0: Yeah. yeah. The only saving grace, I guess, is that um unlike Richie, Lalesio has played a lot of his career at twelve. And whilst he's certainly not the biggest guy, it just means that he has uh, yeah. like, like he played down the twenties at twelve, I'm pretty sure. Um and yeah, it just is. it just means that he's more versed to you know, a more defensive role, basically. So he's not gonna shouldn't be as phased by my
1: worry wasn't running players at him, although Caleb Clark could eat him. But it was more about, you know, the Harry, what Harry Wilson did to Richie Monge Oh, yeah. No, that's it. What Paisami did to Richie Monger in that first game. Like if they send out some of their big boppers, like Hoskins to Tutu running down at him, hmm. Patrick Tupolodi running down at him, you could it's, do some serious it,
0: damage. To you could argue team. that this game is going to come down to who does a better job, so Tutu or Wilson, at smashing the other 10. That's basically Absolutely. what it's going to come down to. <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting. Let's move on. Hmm. All right, so let's go
1: Let's go to some Wallabies tactics, shall we? Like, how, how do we think they're going to change? So, The first really obvious one, I'll take the low-hanging fruit, is maybe actually consider Caleb Clark in your game plan. James O'Connor mm-hmm. won't be there to make a brain snap, punt uh, down the field to Caleb Clark in open space like he does once a game.
2: But, or, or to Rico yeah, like
1: whoever, you know, he does that once a game at the moment. So I think there'll be a very, very strict uh, game plan that, under pressure, they do not just punt down into open play and give the All Blacks a chance to counter-attack. So I think you'll see kicking to touch at every mm. single opportunity to make sure that they don't get that run back. Because I know Caleb Clark, I mean, he set up essentially two tries from his gigantic runs. And if they can make sure that they take that away, not only take that away, but start trying to put the ball in behind Caleb Clark. Try, start trying to give him contestable kicks and really see how he goes at those those parts of the game that are generally more favoured to someone that's a bit more agile or a little bit uh, better at a vertical leap considering that he's yeah. 180 kilos of muscle.
2: We've also, um, you've also got, you know, Patea there as, as another option lingering. Um, so you could have, you know, Dalgunu and him trying to, you know, take the ball out of the air if it's him contesting with those. You know, you you want to send a couple guys at him defensively if he's contesting. Both of those options are going to have a better vertical leap than
0: Caleb Those kicks just got to be shorter like they were in game one. Yeah. So,
2: I mean, if if you look at Nick White's kicks in that first game, they were contestable. We keep talking about it. It's it's a kick that is going 30 metres or whatever it might be, but it's contestable. You're not, mm. You're not giving space to Caleb Clark. You're not giving space to Bowden Barrett. They are two of the worst blokes in the world to give space to and do long, long aimless kicks. And, you know we like, who we need
0: back who would be great for this? Bernard Foley, mate. He could only kick it about 30 metres uh, if he wanted to anyway. You know what I mean? Every time he went for touch, he 10 Maybe he
1: went I, about maybe 10 I, meters. can kick too far. I thought you were going <laughs> to say easy for loud, just so he there's leaps over the top of him in every... Oh, mate, his name who...
0: Let's get in there now this week. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, and I think... I mean, but look,
0: I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll, I'll expand on that as well with Caleb Clark. I think um, apart from the 190 kilos that he weighs, the uh, you know, 73 tackle busts he made last week, apart from not giving him the ball with time and space, how about um, tackling him around the legs? How about that? Um we he talked legs, mate. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Tackling him around the leg or the ankle. Pick one. Because, you know, we talked about it last week that in trying to uh, win the physicality battle, the Wallabies kind of ended up just going for shots rather than um, actually making tackles. And, you know, uh, uh, 10 of Caleb's tackle bus were guys just going high and bouncing off because of the laws of physics.
2: I think it's worth noting that a, a lot of those were when we were scrambling defensively. You know, we we won't set up in in really good positions. So But
0: but what do you want to do when you when you are scrambling defensively? Just make a good textbook ankle tackle to slow down the ball. Like that's that should be your go-to. It shouldn't be I'm gonna make a massive shot in a really like low percentage uh, you know play that we're in, in in terms of a absolute scramble to get back and stop something. It should just be back to basics, you know, ankle tackle, get them down. Recover, give people time to get back.
1: I, I don't know how I feel about this. Tell me what you think. But I think we can tie a few points in together here, right? Yeah. The, all, the Wallabies, we kind of need to make sure we make our tackles this week, rather than necessarily be too physical. But also yeah. to disrupt the All Blacks, we have to be really physical on Richie Mo'unga. So there's that one time. player that you need to get up and take space away from. And mm. then our defensive, our, our selection policy this week is to take Tyre over Paisami. So you're really taking, and, and Taniela Tupa who really shot out of the line hard in the first half as well. So you're putting everything really on Harry Wilson to get up and make that physical hit and take that presence, make himself, you know, make himself yeah. known but, in offence. No, think but we've got Ted
0: Flanagan, so we're all good. Do you like, think it's a
1: good thing for the
0: Wallabies? Or
1: do you think it's a bad thing that we look like we're probably going to set up to be a bit more passive defensively? I think, I think it's
0: going
2: to be a different defensive tactic. You know, you don't have Tamua, as you said, Tupo uh, Paysami, the guys to shoot in that made all those hits in game one. We need to get up in a defensive line and we need to be more readily, you know, tracking across and, and covering those outside channels. We got caught out in both games, you know, shooting in a couple times as well and having that space for Geordie Barrett out wide. So I think we need to be, yes, it's good to get up in quick line speed, but we need to come out and track, you know it's good to be real physical and tight, but as soon as you get caught out, if you've got a second man there, Bowden Barrett, something like that, and as soon as they do that back pass to him, all of a sudden it doesn't work. So I don't think that shooting out and trying to hit that man is as good a game plan when Bodie Barrett is lingering as that second man in, in attack. So it, you do need that line speed, but I think we need to be tracking across further. I mean, that that worries me that you say that because... I think one of the,
1: the biggest weaknesses for the Wallabies at the moment is the combination in their defense. Mm. And, you know, we, we always, everyone at the moment, the the key word that everyone keeps coming back to is uh, a word that I can't remember. Cohesion. Cohesion. <laughs> it's cohesion and the fact that it has such a heavy effect on your defensive patterning. And the All Blacks last week scored two tries that I put down to a lack of cohesion to the Wallabies. The first one was Aaron Smith taking a quick, Start off the back of uh, the phase after a line-out. And the second was, I think it was Patrick Tupelo going through a hole and then off the back of the next phase, Good Hugh kind of drew in a few Mm -hmm. defenders and put them over in the far side of the field. And both times it was defensive misreads. It was a lack of communication in the Wallabies' back line where they weren't getting set early enough. So I think to ask the Wallabies this week to be near perfect, to keep them under that magic 20 points, Mm. you know, really you can concede at most two tries in a defensive pattern where you're giving them the time as the most skillful team in the world to attack you, I I don't believe we have the cohesion in our back line
2: to reduce them to an enough th-
1: point. So I think the only way we can do it is to disrupt Richie Moe.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think you've got to definitely disrupt Mr. Richie Moe. I'm not saying, you know, but you don't need your outside centre being the guy shooting into to hit him. You know, you can't do that when Bowden Barrett's lingering at the back. It has to come from Intider. It has to come from Harry Wilson or something like that. And you need to have that line tracking across. It's all well and good. It it all depends how you you put that, you know, into perspective because, you know, it, it is not hard to talk and bring someone out with you. It is hard to make that decision in a certain role when you don't know what the blokes around you are doing. Do I shoot in? Do I wait out? That is a harder thing where you need to have those combinations. I think if you have a team that is verbal and a defensive line, you can talk about who you've got and you can have that communication and come and track across. You have more time to make sure there's not those gaps. You have more time to work together. You, you're keeping in unison with the blokes around you. But in game one, we didn't, it wasn't that. Someone had to make that decision not knowing what the guys around them, not having that experience with how other people would react to make that decision.
1: Can I, can I just ask you a question with the changes in this back line, especially through the inside, you got, uh, what have we got? Lola CEO, Simone to Pataya, And then you've got the Buller brothers on the wings. That's their oh, name. That's, their Do name. Not that's say what, rap, call- what literally that's what they call themselves.
2: Yeah, but they can, you can't.
1: Look at you. James O'Connor said it, man. He's wider than me. So anyway, I'm I'm playing that off. That's okay. And uh, I stand by that. Neither none of those players really, I think, are really key communicators in in an experienced wallabies game in a big moment. How yeah. do they how do they build that cohesion and communication? Because that's not a communicating back line. You've got D H P at the back. To me, he's the only one that they're gonna have to really rely on because I don't see anyone else playing that role to a level that's good enough.
0: Uh, yes, sir. thank you for the question. Um, Nick White is going to have to be extremely vocal. I think you're right. It's, yes, um, it is. It is in. Why oh, is playing
1: halfback? How does he do
0: that? Well, this, this is what I mean. Uh, he's going to have to. It's it's going to have to be a combination of Nick White and DHB. It is a very unique situation that you have your ten to fourteen, actually just being blokes who just perform. They don't really call the shots. They're not huge leadership figures. Um, I mean, at every ten, um, nice. Uh, every ten, you know, has to stand up and and make some calls. So this will be a huge game for Lola CEO to to do that. But um, yeah, it will be interesting. one. I think Nick white, he's he's basically DHP coming back is huge, but Nick white is, is going to have to really steer the ship this weekend. I
2: I think DHP is a huge part of why he's playing this week is that, you know, defensively, I think he's far superior to banks. His communication with the defensive line is far superior. Mm.
0: So yep. Yep. Now, I was just going to say, tying, tying some of that together and at the risk of sounding like uh, Phil Gould on the weekend, a uh, little cliched, um, I think it's a balance of, of what we got right in game one and what we got wrong in game two. As you guys said, really need to focus our energies on unsettling Richie Mawanga. Uh, we do need to win the physical battle, but you can see clearly in game one, we got it right. So even though we're missing now a few of those big hitters, we got that pressure right, shoot, shooting up at the right times for the, for the most part uh, in game two, we got it wrong a lot of the time. So we were going for shots when it didn't, well, when we shouldn't have been. Um, so I think that's going to be key is, is, just knowing when to exert that type of physical presence and pressure basically. But um, look, the word I will, I will, I will use that will take us on to our next point will be accuracy. So uh, you know, how accurate are we going to be with those with our, with our tackles? So there are times when you need to go smash Richie Morgan and there's times you just need to tackle Caleb Clark around his ankles. Caleb Clark should always be around the ankles just for, to be clear. But um, there's no one that is going to win against Caleb Clark. I don't think we pick anyone. Even Harry Wilson might have a tough time. um, Not impossible, but might have a tough time. So, Um, but you know, accuracy in both tackling and accuracy at the breakdown. Nelson as somewhat of a breakdown specialist, um, would you want to take us through how how we're we going to improve there?
2: Yeah, look, I, I think we made you know leaps and bounds in terms of improvements in game two than we did game one. Um, I don't know how much I can attribute that to the hammer Hannigan. No, but we're I'll not come calling back to that. that. Yeah, we'll, yeah we'll but, come back to that. Come on, settle down. I'm hammer.
0: not. I'm not going to endorse. Oh, that's that. a whole another point, man. I, yeah. I'm holding that back. So Eddie I- Hannigan, and that's the end of story.
2: We, we won a huge percentage of our breakdowns in game two. It was a massive improvement from game one. I think, interestingly, having McWright on the bench, he is a guy, he is a specialist around that breakdown. I don't know how many minutes he gets, but if we are struggling at that breakdown battle, I think you will see him come on earlier. At six? Yep. at six. So, can I, uh, oh, I, I interrupt? It's, it's going to be at six.
0: I was going to say, I have to interrupt. We haven't, we haven't spoken about it yet, but McWright over Liam Wright. Uh, I mean, I think we talked about it pre-pod.
2: But for me, like, they, they both offer different things. But the back end of the game, if the game's tight, I feel Mick Wright is the guy who who's going to, you know, be more likely to steal you that ball, more likely to, to slow it down a little bit. So,
0: I, I know, think... by, by the same token, I think it was it was the, the Reds' semi-final where, um, you know, he made, made a steal to get a penalty goal to put them either back level or in front, and then a couple of minutes later, gave away a penalty for yeah. the other team to win the game. I
2: think, I think it was a, a, a round game. I mean, well, the, last, the last, last,
0: last round of the regular season, yeah.
1: The way the game has been refereed. But, is, so what I mean is just his... Man on ball is definitely his... getting a huge advantage.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, exactly right. It, yeah, it's sure. very true. Like, if you're putting someone like that into the game earlier, if we're struggling you know, he's likely going to get paid because that's how it's getting refed at the moment. But look, I don't think our issue was about winning our own ball so much. I think the issue was about we need to really slow this pack down, this breakdown for the All Blacks. If they're getting quick ball, Aaron Smith's getting the ball out to his backs. We're still setting ourselves defensively and continuing to then have to, you know, shift back because they're, they're breaking the line, then shift back. And that's when that builds and those issues sort of get created. Um, the All Blacks, I don't really think in the last couple of weeks, if they haven't had that, you know, disruption in terms of open field, sort of, um, you know, disarray in our defense, they haven't necessarily, you know, created it off slow ball. They haven't necessarily created it that much off, off, you know, when there's been a set defensive line, you know, game one, when, when there was that set defensive line, you know, we we had the ability to shut it down through our pressure. So... Mm-hmm. I think if we can slow their breakdown down, that's going to be a huge base for how this game is played. So it means Hannigan's going to have to be doing that dirty work and get involved. Hooper's going to have to get involved and do that dirty work. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that is obviously not going to be a Fraser
1: McWright or, or Liam Wright thing. That's a whole team thing. Yeah. Um, okay, this is my favourite point of the pod, which is why I didn't let you, let you get onto it a little <laughs> bit early. So... A couple of things in here. First of all, one of our mates referred to Ned Hannigan as Ned the Hammer Hannigan this week. And I feel like the only way that that's happened is because he's had one good game.
2: Or maybe he's seen
1: some leaked nudes. Oh, maybe. The dog roll. He's going to compete (laughs) with the dog roll post-game. sounds like
0: the more likely story is he just got sponsored by Hammer and Tongs, the, um, you know, uh, very average beer uh, industry. We're, we're actually happy to be. Well,
1: We're happy to take sponsorship. Sorry. <laughs>
0: Hammer and Tongs would be a fantastic sponsor for the Drive Rugby podcast, however.
1: Okay, okay. So here, which brings me to my point. I'm, I'm not prepared. None of us are prepared to call him Ned the Hammer Hannigan, as good a nickname as it is yet, because I don't believe he's got anything physical about him. But.
0: There's not yet. There's, I'm never going to be prepared to call but him
1: But this is what I wager. So. First of all, he had an obvious weakness uh, with his with the, with the Wallabies lineout. Sorry, in game one, and one of the reasons we said he was brought in for game two was the fact that he could fix that issue. Now the lineout was a lot better in game two. One of those you can put down to Fellafanga not throwing one not straight. So BPA, thank you very much. And then is the rest Ned Hannigan, or was it the loss of Sam Whitelock? Because this week you have the world's best defensive lineout player by a country mile, Sam White Whitelock back in the New Zealand team. And I think now we're really going to see just what BPA and Ned Hannigan are worth. And obviously the hammer, Hannigan, if that's what we're going to call him. First, first thing for him to be called the hammer is we need to be dominant in our own line out with Ned Hannigan playing this week right. and Sam White Whitelock back. The second is no one expected him to ever make a line break. And I'm pretty sure he made two. And he looked great with Bourne. And I, I heard his Least interview. of everyone. him. Well, I was going to say, I heard his interview later in the week. Not even he thought it was going to happen. He was confused. But <laughs> <laughs> the point is, if he follows up that running game and attacking game, and he can win the line out on our own ball and help that line out, and he can be fuzz- physical, physical, I was turning into a Kiwi. Physical at the Ruck. He I wish. think he deserves to be Ned the Hammer Hannigan. I think this is his opportunity to earn that nickname.
0: All right. My response to that is two things. Firstly, he'll never be called Ned the Hammer Hannigan on this podcast. That's the only time you'll... Come ever. Well
1: mate. I can't him. do a 20-minute rant. If sec- you down like that.
0: Second of all, um, I think the you used a word which I think perfectly summarises his selection last week and this week, and it was confusion. Uh, the easiest, best way to unsettle the All Blacks is to pick someone like Ted Flanagan in the team just so they're sitting there all week analysing and pondering, like, how the hell can they pick this guy? You know what I mean? Like, so I think that's clearly, it's the mind games. Uh, David Rennie, the, you know, Jedi Master, is only behind uh, Eddie, uh, Eddie Jones. So, look, that's all it comes down to for, for mine. I think that, what they brought Ned Haddington in for the line-out, but did he ta- actually make any takes? I think we talked about it in the pod last week. Maybe oh, one. So nice.
1: um, okay. Uh, like like line-out. If he can do those three things, win our own line out, make some line breaks <clears throat> and be physical at rough time, would you
2: call him the hammer? Look, it's Han- going to take more than two games for me. Oh, I think that's pretty rough. Uh, look, I think the... I will, it, I will, I will, he I will can lose him. it again. He can no. lose it again. I think. That's okay, true. yeah, as long as it's not for good. But I will call him the hammer, Hannigan, after this week if he does one thing. If I see him shoot out of the line and mess up more Unger, if he does that, for me, he is instantly the hammer because that's the one thing he didn't do last week that we really need to see a little bit more physicality in defence from him. And if I see that, I will call him the hammer until he plays shit the next time, which will probably be his next chance. So- All right, look, we've already talked
0: about him for far too long on this podcast. And the last thing we'll say about him is that if you haven't already, check out Friend of the Pod, Squeeze Rugby, also on YouTube. He did another great video analysing the Bledisloe 2 last week. And he did spend a good portion of his time um, basically just trashing uh, Ned Hannigan. So, uh, if, if you, or illuminating, you know.
2: If, Ned if you haven't seen Squidge Rugby and his you know, snippets of, of the rugby and how he does that, you are doing yourself a massive disservice. He is one of the best things in rugby at the moment.
0: Basically, if you're listening to this podcast and yeah, how are you not watching Squid Rugby's videos? Oh, That's very short summary. But with that, let's move on. So we've talked about Australia, what we can improve, uh, how we're the mind games, picking Ted Flanagan to um, get in the Kiwis' heads, confuse them. Uh, the All Blacks, let's talk about them. Uh, I had difficulty when you asked, posed the question to me prior to the podcast on where can the All Blacks improve and I will take what, what I thought was the low-hanging fruit um, to begin with, which I just thought they need to start better. Um, I mean, every year everyone talks about how the All Blacks, in general, start the Test season a little slowly. Um, but I just think in these first two games, the Wallabies have come out and, I want to say, almost dominated the first 10 minutes of both Test matches. Now, Without
1: scoring points.
0: It is hard to say dominated without scoring points. Um, but by that, they have had all the possession, all the territory and just been unable to um, convert twice. And I mean, look, this is probably my green and gold glasses, but twice there was uh, two uh, penal- relieving penalties to the All Blacks. Week one, Damien McKenzie. Week two, Artie severe, Both should have been penalties to us from either never releasing or coming in from the side. But alas, still no no points to the Wallabies. But yeah, I think that's a huge. You know, If the Wallabies this week do start well again and convert, that's going to go a long way to um, to building momentum. Because we know momentum in a game, scoreboard pressure is massive. Um, and the Wallabies have always been a very, uh, we've always been a confident side. You know what I mean? Like we play, we play better and better the when we're ahead on the scoreboard.
2: I think we need, we as the Wallabies need to make those 10 minutes, you know, pay. The, if the All Blacks weather that like they have in the last couple of weeks, they, they build confidence out of that. Um, so, I mean, if the All Blacks start really solid in that first 10 minutes, it's going to be massive for them. But, I think we have, you know, people in a different role that might look at things differently this week. I think after two weeks of that, you know, we're going to potentially set ourselves up, you know, for a penalty or a drop goal. We know we're not getting that pay when we're close to their line and we need to leave with points early in that first 10 minutes. Sounds absolutely ridiculous, but it might be worthwhile. I'm going to chuck five those on Wallaby's first points to be a drop goal. Hear me out. 10 minutes, we're down there, they're not prepared for it early on in that match, we're not getting that penalty when they're, we're close to the line. So unless we're scoring from a distance and we're entering their 22 with that disarray and open space, the, the All Blacks are you know are disrupting that ball and not getting penalised. So I think we need to think, how can we get those points early? L'Alessio in eight games has scored two drop goals. Granted, both at the back end of a game, but I wouldn't be overly surprised as a, a pretty cool head and, and a, a discussion of how do we get the board, you know, the points ticking over early. It seems like a massive stretch, and it might be a massive stretch, but I, I wouldn't be overly surprised if we, if we do see that. If we see us enter enter their 22, you know, and the defensive line is set.
1: I think I backed you for all your bets last week, and I lost about 100 bucks. so...
0: I'm, I'm I'll, last well, I'll also jump on that. Look, I do not expect to see us uh, score first with a drop. Oh, it's,
2: mate, it's... It's fucking a lot. But, you know, it, it would make sense to me. Now we're explicit podcasting, by the way, thanks to you.
0: Okay. As always, gamble responsibly. That's
1: uh, right. Uh, look, no, fair, fair point. I think they will try and take points a bit earlier, but let, let's go back to the All Blacks. Yeah. Um, I, I think the big thing for me is the selection of Dane Coles says one thing, bleedingly obvious, that... The physicality that they showed, <clears throat> especially over Tani, Yella, Tupou in the second game. By which, getting pumped, I mean, If you're not listening, if you're not watching the video, there's some severe... A lot of air
0: quotes going on.
1: Inverted commas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's that they want to be physical again. And Hoskins are 2-2, I think. is is a very, very physical player. And I don't believe that... I think they'll think the same as us, which is they haven't got the payout of Shannon Frizzell in that department, which he really should be providing, given his build and his stature in the game.
0: I think think you're uh, perhaps confusing the words um, physical and grubbery. Um, Look, certainly Frizzell and Sir Tutu, we're talking about physicality, but uh, Dane Coles was selected first and foremost to up the grubbery levels.
1: Well, they, they just want to they just want to out-muscle us and make themselves their presence felt. And, and look, I think they obviously did that better in the second game than they, they did the first. And I think the Wolves took a step back. But I think if there's one area that they're going to say, look, this is still a, a, something that we really need to improve in our own game, that's going to be it. And I yeah. think Shannon Prezel's name's got to be on the top of rock if he doesn't do it, especially if Satutu can perform. And I mean, Hoskins Satutu, the, the expectation is that he just munches people, isn't it? Yeah. yeah
0: he's done it all for the Blues, he's been skilled he's bumped people off, he's made big hits but I think his role in the All Blacks, they already have so many skilled players that they yeah. don't need any of that from him, they're not going to need him to make a run down the sideline, put a grubber in they're just going to need him to crunch people and make some big runs
2: Yeah, I, I think an, another thing that I, I, I can see them really trying to focus on in that game one you know back into the game when the wallabies started to get a little bit of a run before that final 8 minutes of, of overtime the all blacks really looked rudderless. they they didn't seem to deal with that stress well we've discussed it in the first 10 minutes of games they're not dealing with that you know pressure and stress well early in the game granted in the second match it was 10 minutes In the first match it started and ended like that Bowdoin is is someone who can be a cool head for them and another option as that second ball player. But it's going to be something for them that if they do have that pressure, they really need to step up and improve with how they they make their decisions.
1: Well, it's going to ask questions of Sam Kane's leadership. And I think Sam Sam Whitelock, you would hope, adds a lot to it, although he was there in game one and they still looked a little bit more stressed than you used to see in the All Blacks as well. So, yeah, I think that's a massive part. And I guess that brings us to the All Blacks bench, which to, to me is going to play into that role, but also just the sheer, I guess, fear factor associated with some of these guys. <laughs> um, I don't know, Kagi, if you don't have it in front of you, you want me to go through it? The
0: bench? Yeah. I can tell you the bench off the top of my head. Yeah, go on. We've got Hodgman. Oh, sorry, Cody Taylor. We've got Hodgman. We've got... Um, the, we've got Lomax. Yep. Uh, with Scotty Barrett. Yep. Dalton he who I think will be under under like underlooked as um, an impact player because I think he's, he's going to get on there and really want to make the most of his opportunity. Um, him. Yep. We've no. got a, a guy, TJ Perinara. He's not particularly good, not much of an impact player. No, know, um, Is he that guy that plays in Japan? <laughs> yeah, I think not, none, of the, none of the backs really are impact players. You know, they're not particularly <laughs> um, just, uh, <laughs> Nani Laomape and Rico Iwani. So, you know, right. just a couple of, like, you know, no-name, nobodies bodies um, coming on. Interesting thing
2: about that, you know, like we're talking about dealing with pressure, especially if it is at the back end of the game. Is Laomape and Rico Iwani the people defensively that will deal with that pressure well?
1: No, but we're not talking about defensive. We're talking about how they use the yeah, yeah. ball. ball. I,
2: I agree, but... I Lomape mean, like, is going to
1: kill someone.
2: If yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't be worried about Laomape. I was going yeah. to say. They both can murder people and they both can do so much with the ball in hand. But are they the level heads of, as we said, the, the centre pairing that's already there, good Hugh and Anton Leonard-Brown? Like, mm. if, if you really need to close out a game by being level-headed rather than impactful, because they will definitely be impactful... Are they going to be
0: better than the guys that are there to do that? I, I think actually that's a fair point from Nelson. Um, I was thinking that I certainly wouldn't call either of them defensive liabilities, but uh and I, I won't say that for La Mape at all, but I think we do need to look at Rico Iwani has um he made a few defensive mistakes in game one. Uh he, he let in certainly one perhaps two tries by either coming in or um just a misread. So he is he is certainly our, one of our best bets would be for Jordi Pataia to get a one-on-one. As as much as I love Rico Ioani, in, in D, um, with a little bit of space, Jordi Pataia could... Uh, yeah, that's, I mean,
1: uh, Rico covers with pace, right? Like, you need to beat him positionally. You, you I, know, I, you're not yeah, you've going to make
2: him make a misrate, absolutely. I, I think the issue for him is at outside centre more than it is at wing. Mm-hmm. Getting him, you know, out of the position that he needs to be around when we do that second-round rap play, second-man rap play, things like that. We We have a... a a comfortable 10-12 combo that with pace and, and you know, um, spark around them that if he comes in at outside center, I think that is, that's a good place for the Wallabies to attack. I don't think he will. I don't think he will. I think he'll come in on the wing and then it means he's just got to cover a small amount of space. So we've got to work harder to create that space around him. You know, when we see someone like Korobiti, um beat Geordie Barrett on the wing to get
0: to that corner,
2: Hmm. I think Rico is a lot more likely to shut it down because he has
0: that pace. Mm-hmm. You know, are we, he's got a better ability to shut that down. Are we assuming that Rico is going to take off Caleb Clark? Is that what we're...
2: Uh, yeah, probably. You'd yeah. think so. Yeah. yeah. You'd think so.
0: When you think about it, I think yeah. that's probably most likely. Um, yeah, fair enough. Any, anything else in terms of the All Blacks? Uh, what what do we footy. think? Huh? They're pretty uh, good at footy. They're not bad. Um, look, as we said, they've only they've only won just over fifty percent of their games at Stadium Australia. Um, Six so, four, know, um, Take wins where you can. No, very good. All right. Well, with that, let's move on to some listener questions. Then uh, I think Harry or Nelson put up a uh, call call to arms a little bit earlier this week, so we got a few few questions in, which is good. Um, and our forever faithful Mitch Evans at Mitch Evans ninety four. Um, will kick us off uh, again. So he asked, uh, with the inclusion of AA Pataya, DHP, the starting jerseys... uh, Sorry, I see the inclusion of these players um, in starting jerseys all as improvements. But how much better do those changes actually make the team? What do we think the biggest upside to those players is? So
1: I'll go individually and then I'll I'll look big picture. So first of all, we we touched a little bit on some of this. Alan Alan, Alapagos, ala ala over taniela tupo the big benefit here is tupo's attacking Prair West late in the game when the all blacks are a little bit tired and maybe just been out of pressure their defensive lot they're, they're, they're attacking line with his defense a little bit more uh i think they're probably pretty even in the set piece and i think their work rate around the park are both exceptional so either way starting off finishing i think they're both going to be really impactful in that so so the only upside to me is a bit more calmness from the mature Allen in the first half and a bit more explosion in the second half for tupo So that's the better side for me. Mm-hmm. For DHP, um, compared to Tom Banks, number one, Tom Banks was kicking the touch and he was doing that, I think, very, very well with the exception of one or two misses, but taking huge metres, which I was loving. So that's a massive loss to the Wallabies and it's going to be interesting to see how they change that. Uh, on the flip side, I think both number one, a good under the high ball. So I don't think we lose anything there, but DHB just has this ability in the Ben Smith mold to be in the right place at the right time. And also just to always beat the first defender always, always, always. Um, so yeah. I, I think we get composure, we get communication, we get a little bit more X factor in attack with him, maybe lose a little bit uh, with the boot and kicking to touch, especially. And then the last one that you mentioned was, Geordie Pattaya, I think we've mentioned before, to the, it's already in today's podcast, that Pais, you won't get the Paisami shooting out of the line defence. But again, Pattaya is just probably, you know, the, the guy with the most X factor in Australia at the moment. So there's all I've basically said is attack plus, 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 plus for the Wallabies. And hopefully we've got another seven or 10 or 12 points in this by having those guys on the field. Defence, I think maybe we lose a bit of impact. Maybe we lose Depends a bit of defending. Yeah, well, I think Paisami's P- only defending one way, um, exactly. and and I also think we probably lose a little bit for our kicking game as well, but we get that benefit for communication. So I think it means that we'll be a bit more passive in defence, <clears> but hopefully with DHP a little bit <clears throat> more uh, organised, yeah. and I think we'll hopefully have a lot more pointiness in an
0: I'll build on that with just uh, it's not. I don't think it's all just attack. I certainly back DHP as a as a better defender than Tom Banks. He's, uh, I'd much rather have him as your, your yeah, last I line of defence. Really, really, really. um, but uh, I agree, the kicking is certainly going to be a, a, a big loss and going to put a lot of pressure on Lalocio. Um But Tupo, yeah, as much as, look, world's biggest Tupo fan right here, I just think name, name a better impact player than Taniela Tupo. Now, he, uh, he has proved that he is an 80 minute player. There is no uh, doubt about uh, that. He can yeah, play an 80 minute test match. Maybe, then,
2: maybe Rico Yuani.
0: No, not for, not for mine. He no. not, not tupo, he's proved he can play an 80-minute test match, but bringing him on revved and ready to go in the second half it's is just yeah.
1: a nightmare. If he, if, if he dominates the scrum. Otherwise, I'd... Like, I I not
0: know. even just the scrum. Just taking carries. Just a fresh Tupou taking carries and coming up to hit you. They're, they're, I can't think of a worse player that I would... That we, are, I would
2: we used him a lot in Game 1. I, I, we might have in Game 2 as well. As a first receiver. You know, Mm. so literally him being the man, getting the ball from Nick White, and uh, making a decision as well. You know, we're not just expecting him to run the ball. He's allowed to make those decisions. He he did a kick last week, which just Mm. shows he's been told play your footy, mate. Like, do what you absolutely what you want to do on the field. Do it, and and we're gonna put you in a position where you can actually do that. And and that's gonna be a really good thing to see, uh, I think, coming off the bench when the team's under a little bit more fatigue. He also knows how long he has to play for. When he's starting the game, he goes, he wants to play 80 minutes. He doesn't know if he's getting 60 minutes. He didn't know he was getting 40 minutes. You know, th- there's no doubt you don't leave anything in the tank when you know you're coming on and there's a small amount of time there. You just give absolutely everything you can because you know that time's, you know, 20 minutes away, 30 minutes away, whatever it might be. So maybe we see his output raise a little bit because, you know, he knows he doesn't have to last as long. I think I think those changes are a big
1: plus.
0: The question on change is going to be about how
1: the team's ball plays out. we've yep. discussed.
0: Sure. All right. Our next question uh, at rugby for all underscore JP. Uh, is anything less than a Wallaby win enough to keep supporters happy? What key areas do you guys see as a sign that the team is headed in the right direction? I see it in set piece scrums and lineouts should be a hundred percent retaining possession. Gents. What do we think? Yeah,
2: look, I, I think, um, we've kind of touched on it a little bit, you know, uh, the fair weather fans of Australian sport, not just Australian rugby, you know, they just live off wins. If we don't get a win, they're going to have a complaint. And I think when you look in game one, um, you know, a draw was so much like the media is hyping things up so much. It was the best thing in the world. You know, we were so good. And then game two, when we lost, it was the worst thing in the world. We were so bad, you know, like there's this exaggeration in the media. So, unless you're, you know, an avid rugby follower and you can see that we're building and you understand that we're at the stage of a cycle now where, you know, Dave rennie has got the chance to blood some players. He's got the chance to do some of the things that he's doing. Um, I think if you're a loyal fan, you understand it, you want to see growth. Of course, you want to see a win. But the most importantly, you want to see growth. You don't want to see us just win by a fluke, although it's awesome. You really want to see us feeling like we're going somewhere. I don't think if it's a fluke, every fan in the country is going to take a win. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to not take the win. You know, you're not going to not take the win, but what you want to see is that we're going somewhere. You've got, you know, the goal in mind of 2023, you know, 2027, because we've got such young guys mm-hmm. here. We, we want to be building. And I think from game one to game two, our weaknesses, you know, were built on. So but some of our basics, you know, deteriorated, you know, our our, our simple ball skills, some of our defensive reads and, and tackles, you know, they went backwards. So I, I don't think we want to see, you know, those things deteriorate and us get a win. I think we want to see, you know, that we're making positive strides. These young guys are getting the, the crack. We want to see more of this excitement and, you know, youth coming through that we've seen in game one and two from the players that have had their chances. So, it, it's a double, I mean, there's, we're, we're going both ways on it. It all depends, you know, a fair fan will want their win, but I know I still am happy with on a second review of that game
0: too. Mm. Yep. No, very good. I think, uh, it, it, when you say anything less than a wallaby win, look, I think we're going to be chuffed. We're going to be happy regardless, but, um, regardless. You know, well, yeah, I mean, it, obviously not getting what a win means another year without the blood is low, um, which will be tough, but, uh, I think Nelson touched on some good points. Yeah, seeing development. I mean, seeing Lloseta, we want to see the future. You know, like we're clearly we are a building team now. So, um, and we're, you know, l- lucky or fortunate, unfortunate enough to have to play the best team in the world every year a lot of times. So, far more than um, more. <laughs> exactly. Look, I, whilst we, you know, we can look at it as a. As a con instead of a pro, a lot of other uh, teams around the world would love to play the All Blacks four times every year, you know? So, um, anyway, I think for us, another, uh, another thing we could take out of that game is, uh, is line outs. So, if we can see some, as you've said, improvements in the set piece, we need to really, really nail our set piece and retain our possession. That's huge. I mean, that's, you know, it's Test Rugby is, yeah. is a game that is dominated by set piece, really.
2: Um, you really want to see us use that set piece better as well as a better platform to work off. We did definitely improve our lineouts. Yes. Harry touched on about with no white lock, but it's all well and good winning it. If you just lose the ball, you know, next phase, what does it mean? You know, we, we've got to yes. use it as a base. So we need to really start seeing them turn that into a, you know, a positive. Yeah, and, and not using that as well, I think, We've had
1: so much good, varied attack that looks really promising. We need to start taking points in the 22. Yeah. That seems to be the big difference between us and the All Blacks at the moment. I think I'll be happy if we look really competitive, if we show some heart, if we clean up some of our er- errors and we just put points on the board when we get in the 22. Yeah. That's a big one. For
0: me. I, I agree. Look, I think the, the All Blacks are the best team in the world at unstructured counter-attacking footy. I don't think we're going to be better than them at that. We, we've been very good at that in the past. But I think, look, game one, as we said, we scored a try off. I think it was a line out. James O'Connor running across field, gave it to Corabettian in the corner. Tries off set piece. You know what I mean? Just Wallabies play their best footy. The only, I think the All Blacks and the Wallabies are the only two teams in the world that can play the fastest footy on the planet. And, so, and it all just comes about getting quick ball, securing your breakdown. And I think on our, I mean, it's, you know, when you say on our day, it uh, never bodes well. But on our day, if we're getting, if we're getting faster ball than the All Blacks, we can we can be a better team than they are so it's just about using our opportunities and and capitalizing really so that'll uh wrap up my answer on that one harry do you want to take us through our you know, th- oh we have four listener questions you want to take us through the next one i think we we're five, five mate. At- five, from, Jeez, we'll
1: what question from him yeah whatever the decision is for tamu's replacement which we obviously now know uh what pros and cons do you
2: see with the new back line Craig, do you want to take us through what you what you think about that, uh, you know, Lalesia, yeah. simone uh, I can.
0: Um, certainly, I, I think I was just saying before we started the pod that um, I'm super excited about Ira Simone, uh, a player I've been super excited about for years. I was very excited when he got signed at the TARS and then just basically underused. Um, yeah, yeah. You what boys are
2: you quick. After watching the NRC. You... I, I was
0: going to say, you guys are quick to jump on me for not watching that much NRC, but... Um, I was super, super excited about him. And um, look, I think uh, there's been a lot of hype about young Noel Lesio, uh, as there should be. And um, you know, very young coming in first game and as a 10, mm. but Simone really excited me. I think for those that didn't watch uh, super rugby AU, he he was really a complete package this year. Um, one of the things people will forget is look, Tom Banks certainly has been amazing for us for ki- at kicking for touch. I hadn't really thought about this until just now, but Simone has a absolutely enormous boot on him, um, which was really good for the Brumbies all season. So he just, uh, he can do a bit of everything. He he can, he's a second playmaker. It's got a massive boot. He can just truck it up. Uh, I was very annoyed throughout this entire fantasy season because he just stole all of Tamita Kurundrani's typical, uh, you know, trucking up carries. Um, So, I think I said in our, in our uh, podcast last week, what I do like is that when in doubt as well, he can just put his head down and he's going to go over the advantage line. So I'm very, very excited about um, Simone. Yeah, look, um, I guess Lolesio, look, he was fantastic, but you want to talk about Lolesio?: Oh, look, I was going to say that the interesting
2: thing for me is, I mean, my thoughts were when we're talking about Tamua going down, which mm. we knew early on, um, my thought was I wanted to see Simone being the guy coming in at 12. I didn't want to see L'Alessio at 10 with um, James O'Connor move to 12. I, I really wanted to see Simone the guy getting the crack. I think he just has a variability to his game um, that if, yeah, as you said, if we, if we need him to truck it up, he can truck it up. If we need him to kick, he can kick it. He, he developed his game massively this year for me by adding a lot more of that kicking game and, and variability of his kicks. You know, he started doing a few grubbers. Yep. across field, he started doing things like that. Uh, and I, I mean, we don't need him to be, uh, you know, the guy we rely on completely for kicking. But if we're talking about we need a variance, we had a lot of variance in our kicking in game one. He definitely adds to that. Um, and, and the ability that he can, can can do that, you know, puts a little bit of doubt into the All Blacks mind. They haven't been planning for that for the last two weeks does necessarily. He, does he add to that over Matt Timur though? Well, they know what you're getting with Matt Timur. You know, Matt Tamu has played how many games there? Like, he's a, he's a player that the All Blacks would be able to, you know, predict a little bit more if you're, you're planning for Matt Tamua than you would for, um, for Simone. I think he's developed a lot in the last year. He hasn't played on this level, but he's comfortable with the man inside him. I think he's not necessarily a better kicker, but I think he has the ability to kick as well. I honestly do. I think he's got a bigger kick. And um, I think you know uh, he showed that he can he can do grubbers and he can do the short kicking game this this week, this year.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I think he has as well. Like, I, I don't think he's anywhere near as accurate as what Matty Tamura is. But um, <laughs> so I, look, I understand what you're saying. He obviously has a bit of a varied game plan. But um, the biggest issue is definitely, to me, a con. Yeah, which is the difference in leadership and communication that yeah. Matt Timur had. And I, I especially with James O'Connor inside of him, yes, you're right, the combination is, is at least a little bit tried and tested. I I think we actually I, I won't end, I won't say the stat I was gonna say it'll it will come to it in the next question, but I, I, I think that's the thing that you can't replace. It's gonna be a negative purely mm. based on the fact that Matt Timur was a clear leader in the team.
2: So was James O'Connor. Yeah. You know, that's that's two of our biggest leaders, our two backline leaders. For me, you know, yes, Nick White is up there as well, but those two have massively stood up in terms of that leadership and control, and that's gone. Mm. So, I mean, yes, there's the combination between the other guys there in recent memory, but that is, hard to replace.
0: Yeah. Very good. Um, so we've talked about pros and cons. Lalesio, we didn't—we didn't give him much light. What do we? What do you think? I mean, I'm excited. I'm just excited to see what he can do.
1: Well, let, let's talk. Let's answer the next question because I think Lalesio will come into that one. Oh, very so, good at rugby fixation. Uh, shout out to the podcast. Enjoyed. I did listen to the second episode last week as well, so very, very good. I listened to each one. You don't listen to all of them? the third one, I haven't yet. No, I haven't listened to the third one. I listened to
2: the first
0: and second, I haven't heard a third one. So
2: you said you listened to the second one.
0: This is this is riveting uh content, but look, certainly a great plug though. Um, okay, uh, all right. Well, the question, question from rugby fixation cut me off. I am. I'm cutting you off. We're moving on Um, with only four caps from 10, 12 and 13 combined. How much pressure is on Nick white and how do the wallabies get the upper hand on this one?
2: Look, I I think I'm going to, I'll kick us off for this one. Look, um, yes, there's some pressure on Nick white, but we we touched on it before. It's going to come from how those forwards are, you know, securing the ball Are they getting quick ball um, for Nick white to, to have that platform. Um, moving forward, are we going to see Nick White from game one or game two? Is he going to be, you know, doing a little bit more of his box kicks, you know, changing up how, how he's actually, you know, um, targeting that defensive line. I I think we really need to see that from Nick White. He has been um, training with, you know, the men outside him since June, the last sort of four months, So I think they will have a bit of an understanding of each other's games. No, he hasn't played a lot with them. I think he had a couple starts. I don't think they were with Lalesia. I think that might have been when Lalesia was injured. No, no, it was after.
1: It was definitely when he was
2: back. Lalesia only turned out for the grand final. Oh, yeah, then it definitely wasn't. No. So, (laughs) um, yeah, so they haven't actually really started the match together. But, I mean, they do have a good understanding, you know, of four months, you know, those sorts of basics. But for me, a really interesting thing out of this, we're talking about those combinations and we keep you know, driving that home. Aaron Smith and Moana, they have played together for seven matches. Started. Yeah, they started that's... seven times together. But if you look at Locio well, and Simone, they've started together eight times. So they're both raw combinations in very pivotal positions of, of, of the team. Other guys around them are going to, you know, help stabilize those combinations. But mm. they're both very raw. Um, there's definitely a lot more leadership when you're looking at, you know, Moonga and Aaron Smith, especially with Smith there for, for, for mine. But, you know, they're both raw. Um, there's, there's not the, the depth in terms of how many caps they've played individually, but it is very similar in terms of playing together.
0: This is what we were talking about. It's all about the stats that you read. Um, yes. That's, you know, that's how we get it done. I think, what was the stat I read that the entire Wallabies backline only had four more caps than Aaron Smith? Was that no, a. It wasn't.
2: It was that the entire Wallabies backline has 12 more caps than Aaron
0: Smith. Way more.
2: But it way actually more. has 12 less caps than Whitelock.
0: Ah. So okay. <laughs> it's pretty scary. That's very useful information. Um, Harry, get us back on track.
1: Yeah. Okay, so the, the talking combinations nine to thirteen. We talked about Nick Watt. I, I don't think he's too worried about the combination outside of him. It's probably more the ball he receives. I think the person that we haven't named yet is Geordie Pataya and his combination with the ten and twelve. And I don't understand how they're going to have any combination whatsoever, mm-hmm. especially considering Pataya was injured at the start of camp. So he wouldn't have even been training with Ira Simone at 12 until he came back from injuries. Jordi Bataya
0: is a player who doesn't need combinations, mate. Yeah, you know ball. Ball. I don't believe yeah, out of his way. No, I don't believe that at all. That's a bad
1: <laughs>
2: point.
0: Yeah, look, I, I, I
1: think fair enough. Jordi Bataya <laughs> is the kind of guy where if you're under stress and attack, you just give him the ball. You just shovel in the ball and go, here's my shit. Do something with it. Help me. But Correct. in defence, he's very prone to making errors. He's kind of like our Rico Ioane. He can definitely, 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 definitely make just, mistakes.
0: <laughs> I prefer so, just not to talk about his defense. Uh, just focus on his offense, really. That's, I mean,
1: I think that's a, yeah. I think that's a
2: threat. And how do you fix that? I don't think we can at the moment, to yeah. be honest.
0: And, and to be honest,
2: we're talking about his attack. I think last week, honestly, he tried to do it himself. And mm. that was a negative. Mm. You know, when you see him play in the Reds, he has some combination with the guys around him and trust in the guys around him, where he really didn't feel like he had trust in the guys around him last week. That was honestly what I reckon, how it, how it felt for myself. You know, he goes, well, I've got to do this. Um, you know, not looking to put people in gap and understanding where those players will be. He's kind of gone, oh, I have to do it. So maybe without that combination, maybe that's a negative thing for him. But he, he will feel that similar role to, you know... Kurandrani, a dangerous runner outside the guys inside him. You know, so very different style, but a very hard runner and very dangerous outside two smart players inside him who should be able to get him in some space.
0: Excellent. Well, yeah, look, I think, um, there's, I think there is certainly a lot of pressure on Nick White, but I think that he's a seasoned veteran now and, you know, he's played a lot of tests. He's played overseas. He's played in a lot of rugby teams. He's, he's clearly shown the last two games that he's up to it and he's playing some of his best footy. So that's, that would be my answer with Nick White um, and the youngins around him. Guys, I'll put it back on you. The, the key part of that question there from Rugby Fixation was how do the Wallabies get the upper hand in this one?
1: Uh, defensively, honestly, I'm not too sure. Scoreball points. Yeah. In, in attack, it's to me, it's Nick White to control the game with his box kicking to take pressure off L'Alessio. And I think R.A. Simone needs to utilise, keep it simple, utilise his attacking lines that he's very good at running and try and put some pressure running over Richie Moonga. And uh, finally, it's give the ball to Jordi Pizai with some space and uh, anything can
2: happen. Or any of our attacking weapons. Give it to Dalgunu in space. That guy didn't need space in game one. Hmm. You know, like, I, I think if we can set a really solid platform in tight and we're getting quick ball... I think we have humility with, you know, four of our, our backs, our, our wider backs to just, you know, open up space, beat the, the, the last defender um, and back each other up. They're guys that work very hard to follow the ball up and, and try to get those opportunities. So I think it comes from good, quick ball because our forwards do their work. If we don't do that, I don't think we stand a chance in attack, but if we can do that, I think we have the ability. Also the all blacks, you know, are, Underprepared for you know our ten twelve combo to, to open up that space.
0: Uh, excellent. And my answer there, I think the way the Wallabies get the upper hand is uh, we've seen from game one and two, uh, Nick. What we need, Nick White, game one kicking game, just the thirty metre contestable kicks. That's crucial. That was that was a, a new strategy that paid absolute dividends for us in game one, uh, and we also need the Wallabies hands from game one. We need Corradi to catch everything. Um, And just we need to capitalise on our opportunities early. We've got to score those points. That just has to happen. Um, And last point I'll say is we've got to slow down the breakdown. The the All Blacks started getting a lot more quicker ball in that second game. Can't give them that.
1: In in regards to that combination, so just one one more point. is I I think defensively, I expect the 12-13 channel to be rock solid from the All Blacks. They're just two classy players. I think Mm -hmm. that 9-10 lack of cohesion means that the opportunity could well be at how Noah Lessio combines with the Buller brothers with his inside balls and trying to put some players through those gaps. So I think that's a huge thing as well, how we can kind of build that combination in a short space of time.
2: It'll be interesting for me, we've touched on, you know, previous weeks, Hodge at the back end of a game, just being able to kick the ball from almost 100 metres out to to get that penalty. We, we've we brought in now Tate Dermott on the bench and he's someone for me that, you know, can create an attacking um, attacking play from anything, whether it's a tap when we, we could be going for for kick to touch and they're not ready for it, or if he's getting a little bit of sit down a blind side. You know, Jordan Barrett, Geordie Barrett is is not a typical. Widow. We have Jordan Barrett. I, I don't know the brother. Does he play rugby? Um, you know, he's that's his actual name, guys. Um, he's probably an,
0: another brother.
2: Yeah, probably. Um, that says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. So <laughs> look, I. Tate could be a, a real weapon in the back end of the game if he's confident. You know, I, I think um, Jake Gordon had a little bit of, of that, especially in, in game one. Um, so I'm excited to see. We've got the ability to attack and score in the back end of the game, but we've also got the ability to kick a penalty from 20 metres out.
0: How, how good is that going to be? That's probably one of the most exciting matchups for mine in this game is going to be TJ and Tate McDermott coming on. You know what I mean? Well, that's going to be great, I think. Um, excellent. All right. Well, let's uh, wrap up with our last Twitter question. Uh, it's from Hout, Howdy, Hootie at, um, at P underscore Bitter Hout, Hoot, Bitter Hoot. Uh, uh, grit Sports
2: we should have let someone else this. yeah, yeah no, he's <laughs> I think he's uh, I think, you know, it's the head and that the of Grit Sports um, which are doing pretty cool <laughs> things with not just rugby but sport in, in South Africa and, and around the world but um, he said you've now played two games Craig you can answer this first you've now played two games with the All Blacks what are the thoughts so far on Rennie his structures and his selection process granted it is early still in this and he, he points that out but how do you think? What are your impressions of Rennie so far?
0: I love it. but I think I'm kind of like. Doesn't matter who the Aussie coach is, I'll probably love them. But no, what do I like about yeah. Rennie? I like that he's he's signed his four year contract, and he's just shown straight off the bat he's not afraid to do anything. He's gonna he's gonna make whatever selections he wants, um, and he's he's been given a clean slate uh, and a young squad, um, and he's just going to. I don't know, you know, he's going to try something completely new. Um, I think we've seen a few new things from the Wallabies already. Uh, and I'm super excited. I think one of the hallmarks of a David Rennie um, coach team, or generally, whenever he's come in, he's had a lot of success very early. And I think that uh, he'll be certainly benchmarked against that, uh, that prior successes I, I'm, I feel like this time signing a four-year contract as a test coach perhaps might be the time where... He, we do ease a bit more into it um, you know he's got to, he's got to build this young squad up um, over you know a year or two to to start really um, pushing at the on the world stage but uh, I've been super excited I just I really like I think what he's gonna do is you know he, certainly checker was all out attack but uh, sometimes just wasn't willing to I, I guess compromise with modern day rugby and some of the kicking that's required. Um, Rennie just really smart attacking rugby. So I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, I I think
1: um, so. A couple of things for me. Firstly, I think it's the start of a four year cycle. So I love the fact that he's been so open and honest about the fact that they're going to pick on form so the, the number of debutants, I don't believe he'd be doing the same thing if it was a World Cup year, obviously, right? Or so, is his third year. Exactly. So he's country. got this opportunity at the moment where it's the start of a, of a World Cup year. He said, I will pick on form, and he's very, very clearly done that. Otherwise, we wouldn't see a Ned Hannigan in the, same, in the team. Uh, on top of that, the, uh, the communication from all the player interviews has been very much that Rennie is huge on culture. We've, we've talked about the Chiefs Mana before on this podcast, and uh, and mm. I found it really interesting to hear about how he's worked really hard to try and combine the cultures of all the different island nations.
2: Yeah, look, it's interesting. I, I think when you look at international footy well, look, for, well, such long, for, for such a long period of time, you know, people have tried to tear down nations that have you know Pacific Islanders and things like that in their team, saying that you know they're they're buying their teams or they're bringing people outside their country. For me, you know, Australia for the most part, a lot of these players. Come to Australia for you know a better future, a better life, and they decide to make their their um, you know Australia their home moving forward, and, and that's probably epitomised by you know Gunu, who before he got his Wallaby cap, he got offered big money to Japan, and he said, no, I want to stay, I want to play for the Wallabies. You know, he's committed himself to Australia. But I think Dave Rennie's almost changed it from a dirty thing you know, having those specific Islanders in our team to, you know, I think that as part of our culture and owning that as a part of what Australia is, that is what Australia is more so than, you know, a vast majority of countries around the world. We are a country made up of people, you know, coming from South Africa, coming from New Zealand, coming from Asia, coming from the Pacific. That is what Australia is. You know, that, that is a humongous part of what makes Australia, Australia. And he has done brilliantly in a short amount of time, to tie that into, you know, the pride of Australia and this pride of Australian rugby. It is, it's starting to feel no longer like a dirty thing, but something to be proud of. You know, we are a part of the Pacific. You know, we, we can work better in terms of, you know, building some of those relationships with, with some of the Pacific and, and we're trying to do that. And I think he's going to try and build that moving forward. But I think he's building a stronger identity for Australia. He's also come out and, you know, Australian teams come out saying that they want to lock in a Wallabies gold. They don't want to have all these different shades of yellow. They don't want to have, you know, 20, 30 different jerseys of different colours in the stand. When you think of, you know, the All Blacks, it's pitch black. When you think of Wales, it's a certain red. When you think of South Africa, it's a certain green. The, Australia's starting to solidify their identity. And it's not just Renny, it's, it's Wise Mantle. It's, um, uh, who's the guy that's in charge of me that's come in recently? Mick whatever it is, the CEO and the head of Australian rugby, you know, there's, there's a lot about building an identity. And I think Scott, Rob Clark, Clark. Yeah, let's go with Clark. No. There's, <laughs> there's, um, there's, there's been, you know, such a solid base of working on identity, picking on form and moving forward to build for the future. Um, oh, Scott. Scott Johnson, he's not the guy thinking enough, but yeah, him too. Um, so yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm super impressed with them. Uh, I think there's been a clear show of intent with how the Wallabies are going to play rugby. You know, I, I think from game one to two, there's been a clear show of us working on our, our issues in game one. Our issues in game two were different. We, you know, built on and, and you know, made our, our issues less bad in game one. But there's a long way to go.
1: Yeah, and, and it's it's a coaching team, I think, is the other thing. You know, it, obviously, Rennie's going to get the be the one that has to answer for everything. But, uh, I'm, I've been really impressed by the variation in how the Wallabies are attacking in these first two games and really excited to see the impact of Scott Wise Mantle in particular.
2: And I think my last point on, on Rennie, if I can, you know, there was so much confusion over why Nasserani wasn't picked in the team. And, and more the time's gone on, it's, it's appeared it's been because he wasn't meeting certain fitness criteria. Um, he actually stayed back in Terra so he could stay in the bubble rather than going back to, to Melbourne. Um, so that he can work on his fitness and he can try to build and get back into the wall of his So that was a clear task that had been set upon him by um, Rennie. So Rennie's, you know, treating different players differently, seeming like a good, you know, player manager to me, um, and he's brought him back into the squad. I mean, I, I think it's very likely we see him get a run, you know, in the next few weeks, especially against um, Argentina, when he wasn't in the squad a few weeks ago. It's not because he didn't think he was good enough. It's because he goes... Go work on these things and come back and be fitter. And a Dave Rennie team is a fit team. So if you're not meeting those those benchmarks, he's going to send you away to work on it. And you can.
1: If I you think, Dave uh, McDermott. You know, everyone was calling for him to start, and obviously they said he needs to fix his kicking game before he joins the Wallabies. And for that, he's had to hold off and actually his spot.
0: Yep. I think one thing that really excites me as well, just rereading the, your question, is uh, the structures. And look, I guess, actually, this isn't really structured. Now, I think about it, but the skills, the skill level. I think if we think about Super Rugby over the last few years, the Chiefs, when they were winning, they were the most skillful team in Super Rugby. And I think the Chiefs over the last 10 years generally have displayed the highest level of skills, just like amazing rugby. And uh, I think I was surprised by, in our the first game this year, was just that Wallaby's skill level. It's certainly been over the last... It's felt like over the last 10 years, so many times we've said, boys, it's your job. Like, how are you How are you stuffing up this pass or dropping the ball mm-hmm. a lot of the time? You know, just like unforced errors. Uh, and I think um, yeah. fr- right off the, off the bat in that first game, the skill level was unbelievable. Yes, in game two, Coro's dropped the ball a number of times. It did drop a bit. Interesting that it was raining in the first game and not in the second. But... Um, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see the skills, but also the forward ball players. In modern Test Rugby, you've got to have your full, all 15 players yeah. exercising yeah. their and skills. Good. And that's a signature part of Rennie's game. When you talk so about- I think that's why that's another reason why Harry Wilson has been thrust straight in at number eight because he wants a, a, another carrier that um, can make some great passes. We saw in game one and two, Wilson linking up with Dalgunu down the, uh, the wing. Um, so I'm really excited to see that. I think... One thing that I'll never forget was uh, when Jack DeBrasini went across to the Chiefs. They asked Jack, "What was um, preseason like with the Chiefs as opposed to um, at the Rebels?" And he just said, "Oh, look, you know, like they do things a little differently here at training." A lot, he said, "A lot of um, a lot of catching and passing at training." And, and my first thought was, well, "What the hell do you guys do at training, at the Rebels? Then are you not yeah, doing, doing a lot of catching that. and passing?" You know what I
1: mean? Like quick question for you, but so, too far off topic. Obviously, the man that was the skill at the Chiefs was Damian McKenzie. Does that mean we're going to see Jock Campbell in the uh, all fullback fullback jersey in a year or two as
2: the new Damian McKenzie? I don't think so. Uh, uh, look, <laughs> I, he has all the ability to do it for me, but I just don't think so. Jack you know, Maddox, mate. We, we've got Jack Maddox there. You've got Banks there. I think Jack Maddox, for me, is the more skilled player than than Banks, um, but offer, doesn't necessarily offer maybe as good a kicking game... And maybe he's looked a little bit flaky under the high ball. But, you know, there is the ability for these guys to come into the squad.
0: Yeah. All right. No, but anyway, our general thoughts on Rennie. I think we all love him. Um, and I just love his no-nonsense. We've talked about it before. His no-nonsense attitude at all the presses. You know what I mean? Just like, just just won't accept any crap, any questions. It just moves on. I, I love and that. Any so.
1: anytime the All Blacks want something that we have, I feel a lot better about
0: it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You feel that sense of regret still. So, um, you know, if we, if we can notch up a win this weekend, I can't wait to just read the tabloids. You know what I mean? But
2: mari's point about if the Kiwis want it. You know, Tyron Lomax, when the Kiwis wanted him back, I was fuming. Then when I've seen mm-hmm. him over there, I'm like, you can have him. You can actually yeah. have him. I don't care. Yeah, he wasn't making our squad. No.
0: Very good. All right. Well, look, I think that might conclude uh, the pod, uh, episode 38. I believe for season three, season three, Yep, um, and let's go to the Wallabies. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll catch you in the next one. Wait, Wait we haven't done tips.
1: Yeah, I'm, 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 not tips. Gonna, I'm not going to sign off yet for two reasons. First of all, tips, and I'll come to the second one. Wallabies by five.
2: I said exactly Wallabies by five by the pot before the pod, mate. I'm also going to go Wallabies by five.
0: Okay. You can't have the same tip. I'm sorry. It's a you real. You can, point. and we have. All right, well, I'm going to say Wallabies by six, just so I get the outlier. Yes. Okay. Anything above that and I win. And
1: Last thing, if somehow you lasted this long for in, in our rambling, please give us a like, give us a share, do something to help us uh, continue to spread the podcast let, and, the, and the vlog. Let us know you've made it to this point. Yeah, what's the oh. hashtag if you made it this far? I don't care, just tell us.
0: Hashtag, hashtag Nelson's void.
1: Hashtag, but let us us look up. Then we know you made (laughs) it. All all blacks.